Welcome to God's Truth. I'm Dr. D. Todd Harrison as we continue to feast upon the words of Jesus Christ as taught in the Holy Scriptures. This week, once again, as we're doing all year, we're looking at the life and teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ as taught in the New Testament. Today, we'll get several of the great, important uh, events in his life from the uh, marriage at Cana, where he's going to turn uh, water into wine, uh, to the um, woman, the Samaritan woman at the well, uh, and also the first cleansing of the temple. Uh, we see it, uh, John records the cleansing at the beginning of the book of John, and uh, the uh, three synoptic gospels record it near the end of his life, and that was the major event that led him to be, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, convicted of being a criminal by the Romans. This guy was a threat now, instituted violence against Rome, against the Jewish temple authorities, against the, you know, the temple police. And so it'll be a marvelous lesson once again today as we look at the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And of that Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, I testify as one of his witnesses that he lives today. He rose from the dead as the prophecies of the Old Testament had prophesied that he would. He conquered death, hell, and the grave. He sits at the right hand of the Father in resurrected glory and splendor and majesty. Let's look today at what do we learn about Jesus Christ from John chapters 2 through 4. Okay, so let's go ahead and turn to John chapter 2. And we'll begin reading in verse 1. And the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there. So she was had something important to do with this. Some have suggested this marriage was the marriage of his brother James. Uh, some have even suggested that it was Jesus' own wedding. But the fact that they mentioned that Jesus was one of the guests here, we can exclude that this was Jesus' wedding. And so maybe James or maybe one of, the, one of his other brothers or maybe a cousin, a relative. But apparently Mary had an important role to play here. And they were out of wine. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, Jesus, we don't have any more wine. And then Jesus saith unto her, woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come, right? Uh, we see, we saw in the previous uh, last week that he's been waiting and preparing himself for his ministry. He knows it's going to begin uh, when John the Baptist is going to be put in prison. And uh, he's just been uh, abiding his time, but his hour's not yet come. Uh, here's mother wanting him to do a miracle before that uh, point of the hour. He says here in, in the JST, we get that, um, Woman, what wilt thou have me to do for thee? That will I do. So he still wants to be, you know, still wants to honor and obey his mother. He says, For mine hour is not yet come. So Mother, I'm willing to do it for you. I'm willing to do this miracle, but keep in mind, my hour is not yet come. So consider that, Mother, but I will still obey you and, uh, you know, honor you. If you ask me to do this, I will go ahead and do a miracle here. So his mother said unto the servants, whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. What a great verse of scripture this is. What a great motto and goal. We should have this. Uh, you know, always in mind, right? Whatever Jesus or God tells you to do, that you shall do, right? Go forward, exercise faith in them. That's the 
their will and plan for your life, that they'll prepare the way. They'll help you overcome any obstacles that may be in the path, any trials, temptations, just whatever they tell you to do, to just do it, right? Kind of like a Nike uh, commercial or something here, right? Just do it, right? And there were set there the six water pots of stone after the manner of the purifying the Jews, containing two or three firkins apiece. Jesus saith unto them, Fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he saith unto them, Draw out not, uh, now and bear unto the governor the feast, and they bear it, right? No matter what God tells you to do, even if it's a hard situation, a hard thing, even if it's something scary, you do it, right? He could have said, why don't you guys first test this uh, water and make sure that it really did turn into wine, right? Or he, he could have said, why don't you serve it to, you know, this least uh, servant, you know, and see if it's if it's wine. But no, God tells him the hard part here, the hard thing. Go take it to the governor of the feast, the one over the whole thing here. Go give it to him, right? Without even trying it first, without t- tasting it, without giving it to any of the lesser servants. Go give it directly to the governor of the feast, right? But whatever God tells you to do, just do it, as verse 5 said here. And they, uh, so when the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that it was made wine, and he, and he didn't know it was, that, it was, that it had been water and now it became wine, but his servants which drew the water knew it, the governor of the feast called the bridegroom and saith unto him, so whether this is James's brother or whoever it may be here, and say then to him, every man at the beginning goes set forth good wine. And when men have well drunk, then that which is worse. But thou hast kept the good wine until now. So usually they give the good wine at first. Once the people start getting drunk and they don't notice it as well, then they give the lesser, cheaper uh, wine, uh, the one more diluted maybe with water, for example. It says, but you've saved the best wine to last after we've already been drinking the, the lesser wine. Now you're going to give us the greater wine. And so it is with Jesus Christ, right? The whole entire Old Testament, we looked at this last year, right? The whole entire Old Testament pointed its way toward Jesus Christ. But it was a lesser wine. Now Jesus has come. He's brought the fullness of the gospel truth. It's the greater wine. You've saved the greater wine for last. And so it is in God's economy and God's plan for mankind. He saves the greater wine. Until the end, until the last. Now in verse 11, John tells us this is the beginning of miracles that Jesus did in Cana Galilee. And it manifested his glory and his disciples believed on him as they're seeing these miracles that Jesus is performing. After this, he went down to Capernaum, he and his mother and his brethren and his disciples. And they continued there not many days. And keep in mind, the Catholics don't believe in the Bible. They don't believe in this verse of Scripture, right? They think that, wow, these the James, his brother, and Jude, and, and Simon, and Joseph, uh, Ju- uh, Judas, uh, and, and the sisters, uh, must be first cousins, or, you know, they distance, they try to distance themselves. You know, they try to say that Mary never had children, but uh, after Jesus, but the Bible teaches in many places that Mary definitely had children after she had Jesus. These are his brethren here, according to John. So sorry, Catholics, you're wrong in your teaching. 
Okay, so now he says here, and the uh, Jews' Passover was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And he found in the temple those that are selling oxen and sheep and doves and the changers of money, right? The, as the people had come in from all the world to Passover, they were bringing their coins from the countries in which they were living. Well, so they were then exchanging their money for the temple tax, uh, to give the temple tax to the temple, right? So, but the people were trying to profit on it. I mean, they do it to, today to a degree also in currency conversions. So they're trying to make profit on this. They're also selling these animals, but these animals are to be used as sacrifices to God in the temple. What Jesus didn't like was the fact that they were profiting and, and profiting to the degree in which they were making profits on selling these animal sacrifices and exchanging these currencies. So Jesus, when he had made a scourge of small cords, he drove them all out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overthrew the tables and said unto them that sold doves, take these things hence, make not my father's house a house of merchandise. And his disciples remembered the scripture that it was written, the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. Then answered the Jews and said unto him, what sign are you going to show us seeing that you do these things, right? How are you doing these things? What makes you think, Jesus, that you can do this? What authority do you have, you know, uh, in, in these things? Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple, meaning his body, and in three days I will rise it up. So he already knows they're out trying to, they're looking for reasons to try to kill him. They say, okay, go ahead, you kill me. In three days I will raise this body up. Uh, but then he says here, then said the Jews, you know, this temple, the, the edifice here, this, this building, has been being built for 46 years, and you'll uh, rear it up in three days. But he spake of the temple of his body. Now remember, they're going to use that against him in the trial, right? They're going to bring in some witnesses. They're going to say, well, we heard him say that destroy the temple, and in three days he would build the, he would rebuild the temple, right? They meant the temple, you know, the body. We learned later from Paul that the body is the temple of God. And he that destroys his body, him will God destroy. When therefore he was risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this unto them. And they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover and the feast day, Many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did. So again, we're getting more conversions based on these miracles. But we've seen in prior lessons, that is not true conversion. But Jesus did not commit himself unto them because he knew all men. He knew all things. He knew, he knew the reason they were converting to him was because of the miracles, not because of the full true conversion of their, of their hearts, right? And neither not to any man, any should testify man, for he knew what was in man. Okay, chapter 2, great story of Nicodemus. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. So he's one of the top uh, uh, Pharisees here. Then came, then came, the same came to Jesus by night. Now, look at that. The same came by uh, to Jesus by night. Now. What kind of disciples of Christ are we? Are we ones that just sneak off to Christ at night when maybe nobody is looking or very few are looking? Or are we willing to approach Christ in the daylight and embrace 
the Lord of our souls in the daylight and public confession before all mankind that he is the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Nicodemus is not ready to do that yet. He just wants to come by nighttime. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher or a rabbi from God. For no man can do these miracles that you do except God be with him. We know the fact that you're doing these miracles. And that's why he performed these miracles was as a, a divine uh, approval, divine stamp from God that Jesus indeed was the Messiah, that he indeed was his son, that God was behind all of these actions. Jesus answered and said unto him, here we go. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, unto you. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. <laughs> now, all the Pharisees thought they're all going to, to heaven, right? They thought that they're living the law perfectly, right? The very fact that this Jewish Messiah, that this would-be Jewish Messiah would basically tell Nicodemus here, Nicodemus, you're not going to heaven. That would have been shocking, right? And Nicodemus would have every right to try to stone him immediately, right? He's very offended here, right? Nicodemus said unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto you. So he says it a second time here, right? Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So what are the requirements in order to enter into the kingdom of God? You need to be born of water. In other words, baptism and proper baptism going down into the water by immersion, be in representation of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ coming out of the water. This baptism needs to be performed by those who actually hold the authority and priesthood of God. Two, you need to receive, as he says here, of the Spirit. You need to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That happens after baptism, when those who hold the proper authority and priesthood of God place their hands upon your head and, and call forth the gift of the Holy Ghost upon you. Those are the two requirements, he says here. Otherwise, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Sorry, you lived a good life, you were a good person, you loved your neighbor. That's not good enough. Unless you were born of baptism and of the receipt of the Holy Ghost, you cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. These are the words of Jesus Christ right here. Okay, so then he says, verse 7, Marvel not that I said unto you, you must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound. You hear the sound of wind, but you don't see where it cometh or where it goeth. So it is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus answered and said to him, this is another rebuke, right? Art thou a master or teacher of Israel and you don't know these things? We've seen all the way through the Old Testament. We're seeing here in the New Testament. We've seen in the Doctrine and Covenants and other places. Jesus has very low tolerance of those who make themselves out to be teachers or preachers of God and they don't know the basic scriptures. That's why he's always rebuking them. Even Nicodemus here, that's, that's going to become a convert and, and help prepare the body of Jesus for burial, uh, you know, upon his uh, crucifixion, right? He's going after Nicodemus here. He's already told him twice, Nicodemus, you're not going to heaven. 
yet, yet you haven't been baptized by those who hold the priesthood and authority of God. You have not received the gift of the Holy Ghost by those who hold the priesthood and authority of God. You're not going there right now unless you do those things. Uh, now he's saying, Nicodemus, how can you be a teacher or master of Israel and you don't know these basic doctrines of the gospel? He says here, verily, verily, I say unto thee, we speak that we do know and testify that we have seen, and you receive not our witness. I have told you earthly things. I've told you the most basic principles of the gospel, and yet you don't believe it yet. How shall you believe if I tell you of the more advanced doctrines of the kingdom of God? And no man hath ascended up to heaven yet, right? Because Christ has to split the veil in the temple, right? He has to be the first person to return to live with God, opening the veil of the heavenly temple so that all mankind who repent of their sins come unto Christ can return uh, through the veil uh, and to the heavenly temple. So no man hath ascended up to heaven yet at this point in time, but he that came down from heaven, even I, Jesus Christ. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. It's going back to the story in the Old Testament where they're being beaten, uh, where they're being bitten by these serpents. And then God tells Moses, construct this pole and put a serpent on it. It looked like a, a crucifix. And anybody that looks upon this serpent shall live. But a lot of people refused to do it because it was too easy. They would rather suffer and die being bitten by these serpents than to look to the cross of Christ. And so it is here, right? That that just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so shall the Son of Man, I, Jesus Christ, be lifted up. That whosoever believeth in him, Jesus Christ, should not perish, but have eternal life. Ooh. Now listen to that again. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life, right? You need to believe in the Jesus of the Bible. You need to believe in the biblical Jesus, the real Jesus, the one that rose from the dead, the one that appeared to his apostles and said, handle me and see, for his spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. If you believe in that, the biblical Jesus, then you shall have eternal life. But if you don't believe in that Jesus, if you believe in the false creeds of a false Christianity who believes that God is this mysterious floating spirit that's everywhere and nowhere present at the same time, that just floats around, that has no body, flesh, bones, you cannot be saved in the kingdom of God. Jesus Christ is saying that here. And he's going to say it again as well to try to make his point clear. You want to believe in Jesus, you believe in the Jesus of the Bible, the biblical Jesus Christ. You cannot be saved believing in a false Jesus. I can call this table in front of me Jesus. That doesn't mean that that's Jesus. It doesn't mean I'm going to be saved because I'm calling this table Jesus. You believe in some floating essence everywhere, nowhere present. That's atheism, by the way. What's one times zero equal equals zero, right? If it's everywhere. And at the same time, nowhere presence, one time zero equals zero. It is, uh, uh, it is atheism. You believe in the atheism, Jesus, an atheist uh, a type of Jesus that doesn't really exist. You shall not be saved 
in the kingdom of heaven, according to Jesus Christ. Amen. Hallelujah. And what kind of exclamation point you want to put here? He says, uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him, the biblical Jesus that rose from the dead with a physical body of flesh and bones, should not perish, but have everlasting life. Trying to know a new that 2,000 years later, there'd be a lot of people believing false doctrines about Jesus Christ that had been taught false things by false pastors, false priests, false teachers. He knew that. So he's trying to focus this multiple times here so that you get it into your uh, six goals and into your hearts and brains that you need to believe in the biblical Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible that has a body of flesh and bones. says, for God sent not his son into the world with the purpose and the goal of condemning the world. No, he sent his son into the world that through him, his son, the world might be saved. He was hoping to save the world. He was hoping that people would accept Jesus Christ, the biblical Jesus, and be saved, right? He didn't want to condemn the world, but he has to condemn the world because they don't believe in the biblical Jesus. Verse 18, he that believeth on him is not condemned. So they will have everlasting life, and they're not condemned if you believe on the biblical Jesus. But he that believeth not is condemned already, because he had not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So you're condemned. You want to believe in this false spirit that floats everywhere and nowhere present and all these things and three and one, one and three, and all this hocus pocus? You'll be condemned. Right? Not only shall you not have eternal life, not only you're not going to return to heaven, but you shall be condemned if you believe in false Jesus Christ like that. It says here, and this is the condemnation that light is coming to the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Because people start committing sin, then they love darkness because their deeds are evil. Uh, but for everyone that doeth evil, hateth the light. Neither cometh to the light. Because if they're evil and they go and start hanging out with the righteous, it's very clear that they're an evil person, right? Lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light. They want to be part of the light. That his deeds may be manifest that they are wrought in God. After these things came Jesus and his disciples into the land of Judea, and there he tarried with them, and he baptized, right? He starts to baptize with his disciples. And they start to make more, uh, start to baptize more people than even John the Baptist is doing so. And John was also baptizing in Anan near to Salem because there was much water there. Why the focus on much water there, right? Because baptism is by immersion. You got to be covered under the water and come back out of the water. You don't go stand in a pond and have a priest sprinkle water on top of your head that is not baptism that is not valid that does not save anybody that does not is not approved by god uh, it's a mockery of, of god's ordinance that he instituted here god's baptism right you need to go where there's much water and be baptized as symbolic of the death burial and resurrection of jesus christ sprinkling water on somebody's head does not symbolize death burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. For John was not yet cast into prison. Then there arose a question between son of John's 
John's disciples and the Jews about purifying. And they came unto John and said to him, Rabbi, he that was with thee, Jesus Christ, beyond Jordan, to whom you bore witness, behold, the same baptizes, and all men are coming to him. Now, JST is going to change this one a little bit here, right? That that he And he receiveth all who come unto him. Not all, right? Are accepting Jesus. They're rejecting him, right? But he accepts all who come unto him. What a glorious doctrine that is, right? You come unto Christ, he will accept you. You think you have sinned, you have fallen short, you've made bad mistakes in your life. You wonder how anybody can love you. God loves you. And, and if you will come unto him, he will accept you. He will not turn you away. He says uh, in verse 27, and, he, and John answered and said, A man can receive nothing except to be given him from heaven. Ye yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Messiah. I am not the Christ, but that I am sent before him. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom which standeth and heareth him rejoice, rejoice, rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This thus my joy is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. I know I'm, I'm now at the end of my ministry. My ministry is up. Now Jesus is going to increase. And I know I must decrease because I was just the forerunner of him. He that cometh from above is above all. He that is of the earth is earthly. And speaketh of the earth, he that cometh from heaven is above all. And what he has seen and heard, that he testifieth of. If he testifies of our heavenly father, of the almighty God, is because he has seen him. He is his son, after all. And no man receiveth his testimony. He that hath received his testimony hath set his seal that God is true. For he whom God has sent speaketh the words of God. Right? How do you know that somebody is sent of God? He will speak the words of God. Those words will be in accordance with the scriptures, right? And will not contradict the scriptures. For he whom God has sent speaketh the words of God, for God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. The Father loveth the Son, and hath given all things into his hand. He that believeth on the Son, very interesting, how many times is this now? At least three, right? He that believeth on the Son, the biblical Jesus, the one that rose from the dead, has a physical body of flesh and bones. He that believeth on that Jesus hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the biblical Jesus that rose from the dead with a body of flesh and bones, he believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abided upon him. So he's condemned. He will not have eternal life. He is shut out from God's presence. And he even has the wrath of God abiding on him. Those of you who believe in a false Jesus Christ like that, the false Jesus of this false heretical uh, Heresaical uh, 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 creeds of a false Christianity. You need to reject that Jesus Christ and come unto the biblical Jesus, embrace the biblical, true, living reality, uh, Jesus Christ. Then you shall have these promises. Then shall you have these blessings from God. Okay, chapter four. Here's the Samaritan woman. When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, right? So that Jesus baptized more disciples than John. 
Verse 3, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee, and he must needs go through Samaria, right? He must needs go through Samaria. All the Jewish people are scared to go through Samaria. They think that going through Samaria, they will be unclean. They will be ceremonially unclean. They would be in contact with sinners, with non-full Jewish-blooded people. And so they would go the long way around the area of Samaria rather than through it for fear of being ceremonially defiled. But Jesus must needs go through Samaria on his way back to Galilee because there's a woman there that needs him, right? And he's going to, that must needs be that he go through Samaria. Verse 5, then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near up to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being weary with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour, exactly not the time, uh, you know, the hottest part of the day when the other women are not going to be there. The other women are not going to become, you know, will be coming to draw water this time. But the Samaritan woman, who's had five husbands and now lives with a sixth man, is so ashamed of herself and so ashamed of the her situation in life that she's purposely trying to go at a time to avoid the other woman. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her right away, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, ask a drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. So not only do Jews not have dealings with the Samaritans, but the men are not supposed to talk to the woman in the public place, right? So there's multiple taboos here going on. Verse 10, Jesus answered and said unto her, If you only knew the gift of God and who it is that's standing here before you, asking you, give me to drink, you would have asked of him. You would have asked of me. And I would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where are you going to get this living water from, huh? Are, are you greater than our father Jacob, who, who, who built and, uh, and gave us this well and drank of it himself and his children? 13. Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water from this well shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water, the gospel of Jesus Christ that I shall give to him, shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give unto him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water. That sounds pretty good, right? That I thirst not, neither come here nor to try. I don't want to have to keep coming back here. The other woman might see me. The other woman might talk behind my back. They might gossip about me. They might say bad things and say I'm the horrible person because I've had five husbands. Jesus said unto her, Go, call thy husband, and come back. The woman answered and said, I don't have a husband. And Jesus said to her, Yeah, that's right, you don't have a husband. It's good that you said that, because you've had five husbands. And the one whom you're living with now is not your husband. And, and so what you said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet to know these things. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you say that, you Jews say that in Jerusalem. Is the place where man ought to worship. Jesus said unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming 
when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. We shall worship the Father anywhere, right? Yes, their temple is a special place set apart from the rest of the world. But you today in today's society are given the ability to pray at any time, in any place, any location, and worship the Father. What a great gift prayer is uh, today. We should always be grateful, always thankful for it, and, and use it uh, to our full advantage. Okay, so then we go down here. And the woman saith in him, verse 25, I know that the Messiah is coming, which is called Christ. When he has come, he will tell us all things. Jesus said unto her, I that speak to you am he. I am the Messiah. I am the Christ. And upon this came his disciples. At that very moment, his disciples arrived, right? And they're marveling that he's talking with a woman. He's not supposed to talk to a woman in public, right? Yet no man said, you know, what are you seeking, Jesus? Or why are you even talking to her? The woman then left her water pot. She was so excited about what she just heard. And went her way into the city and said to the man, Come, see a man which told me all things that I ever did. Is not, is not this the Christ, the Messiah? How else would he know all things that I've done? Then they went out of the, the city and came unto him. In the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. Go, go ahead and eat something. Right? You're hungry. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that, that you don't know of. Therefore said his disciples one to another, Hath any man, did anyone bring him anything to eat? <laughs> Jesus said unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. That gives me sustenance. That gives me strength. You know, I don't have to eat, right? Just doing the will of God. And if any of you, maybe some of you have had that experience where you're serving God and you get caught up in the spirit and you're not hungry at all, right? You could keep going that energy that you're receiving from the Spirit, you know, you feel like you could go for days and not, you know, don't need to eat. No, you're not hungry, right? 35, say ye not, there are yet four months, and then cometh the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, the fields of the world. They're already white to harvest. There are so many people that would be willing to embrace Jesus Christ and embrace the fullness of the gospel truth. You just have to go out and preach the gospel to them, right? And he that reapeth, those who engage in the work of preaching the gospel, teaching the gospel, he that reapeth receiveth wages and gathereth fruit unto life eternal. That both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. And herein is that saying true, one soweth and another reapeth, right? We all help each other in the work of God. One uh, one plants the seed and uh, another one comes and, you know, uh, pull, pulls out the fruit off the tree after it's sprung up here, right? So he says, uh, one soweth and another cometh and reapeth. But we're both engaged doing different things in the work of God and building his kingdom. 38, I sent you to reap that whereon you bestowed no labor. Other men labored for it, right? You, you coming along. And, and you're now reaping the thing that was not labor for, but there were others that had already labored and, you know, caused that seed to start growing. And he entered into their labors. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman. So the fact that one went around saying that he knew all things about me, 
Many believed in him. 40. So when the Samaritans were coming to him, they besought him that he would tarry with them, and he abode there two days. And many more of the Samaritans believed because of his own word, because of the hearing the preaching and teaching of Jesus Christ. They didn't need just the woman to tell them that this guy knew everything about me. But when they heard Jesus himself speak, then many more believed on him. And said unto the woman, Now we believe, not because of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves. And know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world, born by the Samaritans that were not fully uh, Israelites, not fully Jewish. They bear witness, a whole town of them, that Jesus is the Christ, uh, the Savior of the world. What a great thing. Not uh, uttered by the uh, Jewish city, right? No, no Jewish city is proclaiming that. You would expect that the Jewish cities would do that, right? But no, the Samaritans are the first city that together collectively declare that Jesus is the Christ, the Savior of the world. 43, now after two days he departed thence and went into Galilee. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet had no honor in his own country. Then when he was coming to Galilee, the Galileans received him. Having seen all the things that he did at Jerusalem at the feast, for they also went unto the feast. So they believed. They saw Jesus do miracles there at the feast. Remember, John says that, you know, we only recorded some of the works and miracles of Jesus. If if if, uh, if we could have written all the miracles of Jesus, you know, even the world itself could not contain all the books that would have been uh, written uh, there from. It says here, so... Uh, and Jesus came again into Cana, Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus would come out of Galilee, out of Judea into Galilee, he went unto him and besought him that he would come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Then said Jesus unto him, Except ye see signs and wonders, ye will not believe. Right? He's coming to ask uh, that Jesus heal his son, that his son's about to die, right? And Jesus accusing him that you only want to believe if you see signs of miracle. The nobleman saith unto him, Sir, you don't understand. My child is about to die. Please come. Verse 50, Jesus saith unto him, Go thy way, thy son liveth. And the man believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him. Therefore, the miracle was able to take place, and he went to his way. 51, and as he was now going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, Your son is alive. Then inquired he of them the hour when he began to be healed. And they said unto him, Yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him. Interesting, because it was yesterday at the seventh hour when he was having this conversation with Jesus and asking Jesus to please heal his son. So the father knew that it was of the same hour in the which Jesus said unto him, Thy son liveth and himself believed, and his whole house. So he believed in Jesus, and his whole house believed in Jesus after what just happened. This is, again, the second miracle that Jesus did when he was come out of Judea into Galilee. And we're going to see many more miracles, and John's going to say that the world itself could not contain all the wonderful, mighty works and miracles that Jesus Christ did and accomplished while here on the earth. What a great lesson again as we continue to feast upon these words of Jesus Christ, as we continue to 
embrace and to allow the spirit of God to come into our lives, to teach us, to manifest to us the things that he would have us to do and to learn at this stage of our lives. We'd like to invite invite you in the name of Jesus Christ, for those of you not yet members of his church and kingdom upon the earth, to repent, believe the gospel, accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, exercise faith in him, repent, be baptized by those who hold the priest and authority of God, and receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. We will put an uh, invitation uh, in the description of this video. Just click on that link. Let the missionaries know. We have got great missionaries throughout most of the world and most of the countries of the world, tens of thousands of them now. Just let them know you're ready to take upon yourself the name of Jesus Christ, to be baptized in his name uh, through the proper me uh, method by immersion into the water, coming all the way underneath, coming back out, symbolizing the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. For those of you not, for those of you who are members of the church and kingdom but have fallen to inactivity, we welcome you with wide open arms to come back, come back to the community of saints of God. Come back to where you can fill the spirit together as you worship together with a community of fellow believers and fellow saints of God. In closing, we ask God to pour out his special blessings upon your heads that you may have food to eat, that you may have safe shelter overhead, that the ways will, and obstacles in your life will be opened such that you will be on the path that God has foreordained for you, going through the right experiences to purify yourselves, to become more like Christ so that he can receive you unto him, him at that appointed day as one of his beloved sons and daughters unto God. Of him we testify this day throughout all the world as one of his witnesses, and we leave these blessings upon your heads in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.